Welcome to a new episode of Decide for the Future. Today, we'll discuss the sudden transformation of the entertainment industry. This is the first year in history without summer blockbusters. Is video on demand replacing the movie experience? Will we get to see games fun on the big screen? Stick around, this is going to be a good one. Welcome back to another episode of Decide for the Future. Uh, Jeffrey and Arturo with you. Jeffrey, how are you? Arturo, good to be here. I'm still in the same room doing the same stuff inside as I was a week ago and probably will for another couple months. You know, it's it's August, but I think psychologically we're already all in 2021. Yeah, completely agree. Um, same here, same routine, trying to find at least something uh, that I can do differently today to make it different than uh, yesterday. But yeah. Same routine. And um, but yeah, it's, it's fun to get together with you again. Uh, we're uh, going to discuss something very, very interesting for people. And uh, just as a quick reminder, during our last conversation, uh, we were sharing uh, a few findings that uh, Jeff brought um, that around uh, what's the evolution of work now that COVID has uh, affected uh, so many industries and so many people's lives and, and working from home becoming a... a some kind of a new normal. And that's a big shift in not only uh, work uh, as, as, a, as a behavior, but only impacting people's behaviors and psychology, of course. Uh, but that demands to take a closer look to other industries. And uh, exciting because now we're gonna dive into entertainment and what the, the, what the COVID uh, impact could look like for uh, the entertainment industry on movies, on TV shows, on music, but movies would be the main subject that I think we need to tackle here because that's a huge industry uh, and a huge impact that the industry is taking really. And a subject near and dear to your heart. And Mm -hmm. as we all know, we're, we're getting plenty of entertainment. It's just all coming inside the home, mostly through streaming some broadcast television. But, you know, our recent work, which we talked a lot about, the COVID-19, uh, living and coping during the pandemic, that work showed where movies were concerned. Only 11% of us are willing to go to a movie right now. Probably one of the reasons why when AMC is going to try to open up in the next month, for the first day, they're going to have 15 cent admissions. But even uh, 42% say they won't go near a movie theater until there's a pandemic. So our whole mode of getting entertained has changed completely. And, and you know, and I would, I would argue, and we've made the case, that the movie theater business, you know, what's referred to as exhibition, has really been in decline for 80 years. You know, in 1946, um, in the new in the U.S. and and Canada, which is considered the domestic market, we sold 4.3 billion movie tickets. Last year, the population more than doubled since 1946. So to keep pace, you would have had to sell nine billion tickets. Instead, we sold about 1.22 million tickets. In 1937, the average household went to the movies more than two and a half times a week. Last year, it was about 
four times a year. The numbers, I mean, have really dropped. And of course, the reason the numbers were so high in the 30s and early 40s was that was before the introduction of television. Television forever changed the movie business, made it a smaller business. But the business learned how to be profitable at 1.2 billion tickets. And uh, the business learned how to be profitable selling overseas and selling to television and then VCRs and DVDs and now to streaming. But, you know, one other thing about, you know, the movie industry argues that Avengers Endgame is the most profitable film of all time. That's a fraud. I mean, Avengers Endgame, which came out in 2019, is the most profitable film of all time if you consider it fair to one admission to Avengers Endgame averaged about $14 and uh, comparing that to one admission to Gone with the Wind at 23 cents in 1939. Uh, so you're measuring it that way, you'd have to sell about 50, 56 admissions to Gone with the Wind equals one to Endgame. The real oranges to oranges comparison is number of tickets sold in which case Avengers and Avatar still are hugely successful films, but uh, much smaller films. But they do that. They give the emphasis on the newer films because it creates buzz. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to see your most successful film of all time to be 81 years old. Do you think uh, the, the phenomenon around Avengers Endgame as uh, that uh, over-successful film, is that something that will we see anytime soon well Again. you know you know during the pandemic there you know from my point of view i'm curious if you there were three kinds of films that sort of got stuck in the pandemic i mean first there were the films that had opened but didn't quite finish their run before theaters were closed and we were all stuck at home invisible man was one of those there were a couple of them, and the studios didn't have much choice but to sell them on to, to, to rec view. And although a couple of them may be the first things that are still available six months later, but those films are a one-time issue. You know, you had a, they spent a few days in the theaters, and then there were no theaters. And then there are the films that didn't open. These are more interesting, but they were never envisioned as huge films. They were going to be modest hits, hopefully, and the studios didn't feel they were able to hold on to them, that they wanted to do something. So they burned them off and said, this is Trolls World Tour, and they sold uh, direct-to-consumers at $20. There were some like Artemis Fowl that they, um, Disney Plus all of a sudden, you know, wasn't preparing to have the catalog it needed in a pandemic. And all of a sudden, Disney right. Plus and Apple TV Plus didn't have enough content. So Artemis Fowl went to Disney Plus, as did uh, Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie, Sony said, let's just sell it. Not, we're not, it's not a big enough film to hold. So there were some of those. And then 
there are the billion dollar films, the films that in normal times would make a billion dollars. And, uh, you know, that's James Bond was going to open in March. That's Wonder Woman, uh, Black Widow, the, 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 one of the characters from the Marvel Universe. That's uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, Disney's uh, Mulan. In a, in a post-COVID world, uh, some of those productions could play nicely in the theater, are not going to be hugely successful, perhaps because of, of not all the theaters being open. But there's another thing that I've been seeing that I wanted to bring up with you, where a few productions, and you mentioned Artemis Fowl, for example, and that was a movie that was always intended, intended to go uh, to theaters first, uh, globally. Could it be that that type of movie, instead of, of thinking of, of the, the theater experience first, now that Disney released that as part of the free, quote-unquote, included catalog of Disney+, Plus, would that movie be better off on a streamer all along? Like a Palm Springs kind of film, for example, that was bought back in Sundance by Hulu, uh, intended to play in a few theaters, but it actually played quite, quite nicely on the, on the small screen. Is that a phenomenon that you think will start to happen? That's, that, a, uh, that's a great question. So really, so Bob Iger, seeing that they were being consumed by Netflix four years ago, says we're not going to sell to Netflix anymore. And then a year later, we're going to make our own competitor or our own streaming service. So that was where Disney Plus came from. So anything they greenlit in the last two years, they knew Disney Plus was going to be there. So, and keep in mind, Disney, and that's what Artemis Fowl was, Disney in 2019 controlled 40% of box office. No studio until they consumed Fox and bought Fox. There were six major studios. No studio had ever come close to 40%. And the way they dominated, I mean, I of course, you know this, uh, Arturo. The way they dominated was with these billion-dollar films. And last year, I'll see if I can remember all seven, there was Avengers Endgame. There was Captain Marvel, Lion King, Frozen 2, The Last, Star Wars, Toy Story 4, and I'm missing one other one. Aladdin. Aladdin. Thank you. <laughs> and, and incidentally, you know, I had dinner with a Disney executive, I think it was about October, and she was really irritated because this was... In October, they still hadn't released Star Wars or Frozen 2 um, or Male Maleficent also. Uh, and uh, so by then they had six billion dollar films and they also had six of the top 10 films of the year. And she was irritated. She still thought that Maleficent, which ended up being a bit of a disappointment, but Maleficent, Frozen 2, and Star Wars, both of which were creatively a little disappointing, but not financially. Those three hadn't opened. So she was angry in October at Dumbo. If that Dumbo had, which hadn't, you know, it was a big Tim Burton film, it looked beautiful. Uh, problem with Dumbo, I think, was, you know, normally with Disney films, 
uh, kids drag the parents to the film. I think right. the problem with Dumbo is the kids didn't know what Dumbo was. They knew the ride at Disneyland. And with Dumbo, it was the parents dragging the kids to the movie. But her, she was saying, it wasn't for that darn Dumbo, we could have had 10 of the top 10 movies. That's how much <laughs> they dominate. Well, they actually ended up getting um, uh, eight and a half. Spider-Man Far From Home, they owned half of, was one of the right. top 10 films. The only one and a half that weren't Disney was half of Spider-Man and Joker. So this is their melu. This is their, their expertise. So I think with Artemis Fowl, it's a long way around, hopefully an interesting way around. No, uh, I think with Artemis Fowl, they intended it to go in, and we're going to talk in a couple of minutes as to whether you can have a billion dollar film without a theatrical run. But I think right. their view was, we'll make a lot of money in the theater, maybe not a billion, and then we need all this stuff to quickly get on to Disney+. Plus. I think Artemis Fowl had a budget somewhere in the $140 million range. I don't think they would have gotten that kind of budget if it had never, if it had not gone into the theater at all. I don't think right. they're ready to spend $150 million on pure streaming. That may change. Other issues we'll look at. Yeah, and the thing there with uh, Artemis Fowl particularly is that it is an IP that a few people uh, are connected to because there's a series of books that people have read, but it's not necessarily widely known or, or, or widely as expected as a Harry Potter was in 2001 when it first came out. But it's an interesting exercise in trying to build a fan base and, and I mean we'll have to wait and see for numbers or something from, from Disney Plus if they ever come out on, on how it's performing. Uh, another similar uh, exercise, that they, one of the first ones that they did was Onward. Uh, to your point earlier, Onward was playing in theaters. It was, I think it, it, it managed to play for like two weeks before everything shut down. Uh, but it was a really well-reviewed film, uh, extremely knowledgeable uh, voice talent. Uh, uh, we had Tom Holland in there, uh, Chris Pratt, and uh, it was playing uh, overseas as well. And they dumped it right into Disney Plus two weeks after uh, everything was shut down, which uh, seemed like a desperate move, but it gathered more recognition because more people were exposed to it for uh, just by signing up to Disney Plus. It wasn't really... Um, an added uh, premium value type of, of situation like we're going to see with Milan where people will have to pay uh, 30 bucks a year, right? Yes. Well, let, let's talk for a minute about premiering movies on streaming. And some of these, most of these were movies that were made for the theater. But let's talk about uh, Trolls. Uh, let's look at Mulan, Artemis Fowl, Greyhound, all of which... And the first question I have is, can you build a franchise direct to consumer on streaming? Now, Trolls did pretty well, did about $100 million. It was a sequel. Mm -hmm. And Artemis Fowl, there was not a lot of awareness, but some. Mulan, there's quite a bit. I don't think anywhere near Lion King or Beauty and the Beast. but So those are familiar titles. James Bond we'll talk about later, and Black Widow and Wonder Woman. But can you build, you know, what the studios want with Wonder Woman and Star Wars and James Bond are franchises. 
do you think you can build a franchise for a movie that, and the first in a, in a franchise that was never in the theaters? What do you think? You know what? Just because there are so many good quality uh, or prestige, quote unquote, prestige shows nowadays that people expect. And that type of content uh, provides at least five, eight, ten hours of, of entertainment on one specific property. I don't think people will have the, the uh, viewers will have the patience to wait a year, year and a half for a follow-up movie to a property. And that leads me to think that a, a franchise will be very hard to build based on just streaming alone with no outside world experience, like uh, trying to uh, interact with it in via theater or uh, park type of experience or merchandise. All those elements play a part in allowing people to really fully connect with that type of, of the universe, if you will. Although uh, when, when Netflix does something like Kissing Booth, Right. I mean, kissing what what's the that's a year isn't it it was uh it was three years actually uh from the first the, the first one that uh, one was released and they were pretty smart about going back to south africa and film the, the second and the third one back to back but they didn't announce the third one they waited till they released the second one uh in july of this year and that's a weekend they they announced uh that they had shot the third one already with the same cast uh, so they save a lot in terms of production, uh, if you will, which is smart. But yeah, they have that, that core fan base in a way based on that small uh, movie and it got its legs, that's true. The shooting all the ones at the same time, that's a tradition that goes back to Back to the Future and right. uh, of course Lord of the Rings and Matrix. And uh, yeah, when you're that con, I mean, there was an incredible risk for Lord of the Rings that committed half a billion dollars or more without having you know, seen whether the first one would work. So, uh, so the, I mean, the interesting issue here, what I wanna build on your thoughts about whether you can build a franchise, is the $70 million advertising budget when you put a quote billion dollar film into the theater is not just to get people in the theater, it's to build awareness that remains when it gets right. to streaming. So the question is, can you build a franchise on a streamer without the awareness that comes from, you know, having been in the theater? And the answer may be no. So let's talk about price. So Trolls was 20 bucks, $100 million was generated. That worked out better, assuming it would have done the same in the theater. Universal was better off because they got a bigger cut of a hundred million. 20 bucks in the pandemic, families were home. It wasn't hard. You couldn't bring your relatives or neighbors over, but the family was there. Trolls, of course, is a family movie. It looked like that was gonna be the standard. So now Disney says Mulan, everybody knows Mulan, and I'm not sure everybody really does know Mulan, uh, but uh, Mulan's now 30 bucks. Plus, you have to subscribe to Disney Plus. So, if you're subscribing to Disney Plus, it's thirty bucks. If you're not, you got to plunk down another seven dollars for Disney. There are some discounts available, and if you're a Verizon, all the, you can eat data. What do you, do you think? We're locked into twenty. You know, and one, you know, and one of the things that you know, Edgar Bronfman, who used to run Universal in the '90s. 
was not very successful, but he made, I thought, a really powerful point during the short period he ran the studio. He said all films shouldn't cost the same in the theater. You know, he was talking about paranormal, that the first film was a couple hundred thousand dollars to make, and comparing that to take the Lord of the Rings movies at 200 million each, should they both cost $9, $12? And so should streamers, should they all cost the same? And if so, what's the number? Or what do you think's the range? Great point, and I think- uh, A lot of money writing on your answer. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of money writing. It's funny because I think there's a certain premiumness, if you will, uh, or big expectation writing on a production or a movie uh, for it to be actually valuable that amount. Um, there are a few movies that have come out since quarantine started that were intended to premiere in theaters, but they went with the traditional rental uh, price of uh, $6.99 when, and uh, they've been doing quite well. Movies like The Rental and uh, Relic, for example, that were intended to play in theaters over the summer, have been doing quite well with, uh, uh, with the $6.99 price tag. But then what makes a Trolls film um, you know, uh, worthy of 20 bucks, a Mulan film worthy of 30 bucks? The one thing that I keep thinking about is, because I've been hearing a lot of people complain about and reading on Twitter about people complaining about the 30 bucks that Mulan is going to cost. And there wasn't bucks. a lot of complaint on the 20. There was also a little bit but at the beginning, but when people do the math, they're like, okay, so I'm going to pay a 20 bucks to have my kids watch this movie for 48 hours at home. How much would I have spent in the theater if I take them? It's not the, the 20 bucks per kid, then the popcorn, then the uh, sodas and whatnot, the candy. It's a, it's a big investment now, actually, instead of just uh, thinking about the rental. So they're like, okay, it makes sense. I'll pay those 30 bucks. I'll pay those 30 bucks. Uh, but it depends on the movie. I'm not necessarily sure that we need to price them according to the budget and, and the, the cost of the production or marketing overall. Because that's so do you think we'll have variable? I mean, you think we'll, what we perceive as smaller movies yeah, will, co will cost under let's say 10 or under what we perceive as quote normal movies 20 right. and right. what we perceive as big movies 30 can it go higher than 30 here's where it gets interesting because as we prepare for uh theaters to open back up again in the next few weeks and that can change any day now, of course, with everything that's going on. That type of, of opportunity will allow the streamers to either ask for something else as an extra to provide to consumers when they rent it, or for just, uh, you know, the distributors to think about that extra experience if they want to have people actually go the theater experience and rent it. And is that a variable now, the actual theater experience gonna play in the, uh, or, or be a factor in how much you price a movie, meaning, are we actually going to have a shorter type of window like we've seen with the whole universal uh, controversy in AMC? Is that actually going to become a reality with the other distributors? And is that that's, uh, actually going to be a variable? How much will that impact the cost? Are we going to be lower? Are we going to go higher? But it seems so, like a smart move to have to try out different pricing. So what's your prediction? Two years from now, what will movies that premiere on streamers cost? I would say it will not go uh, beyond $25. I think you're right. I think it'll be 20. And what about Universal now, you know, whole, we could do a whole other show on the war between the studios and the exhibitors. 
but sure. now that they will get these, you know, the, the way most films weren't allowed to be on home video or streaming for 90 days, but most films finished in the theater within 20 days. So you have this 70 day black window where nothing happened, which drove the studios crazy. But the theaters were fearful that if that window was too close, people would say, why bother going to see it in the theater? I'll just wait. Well, Universal took, you know, the, if you know the old line, some people say it was Winston Churchill. Others say it was Rahm Emanuel, Bill Clinton's chief of staff or Bill Clinton's senior advisor, the line, you never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, the, the studios decided this was the time when the theaters were closed and threatening bankruptcy to do things. So they went to war. The uh, AMC threatened to never carry a universal movie, turned out to be an empty threat. And now they've settled that uh, they can be shown on streaming direct to consumer within 17 days. So, mm -hmm. so you say 25 bucks for the movie that never was in the theater and appears day one on streaming. What are we gonna pay for the movie that opened in the theater and let's say 20 days later is on direct to consumer? What will that cost? If the minimal uh, rental price is $6.99, uh, $7.99, I think it's at least twice that for that you know, exclusive. Uh, so that Trolls, which got 20, because it never appeared in the theater, you're saying, and I think you're right, you're saying that if it were in the theater for 20 days, on day 21, you could watch it at home for $15. So what do you think is gonna happen? Now, Mulan's interesting. It is, it's a franchise and that people know the Disney animation to live action. It's pretty well known. Right. Uh, well, how do you think it's going to do at 30 bucks plus a required subscription to Disney Plus? And Bob Chapek, their new CEO, says, we're going to experiment. And I give him credit. They should, you know, there's all kinds of questions to figure out. So they're going to, they're going to lay, they're going to, you know, set the, the, the bar at 30 bucks plus Disney Plus. How do you think they'll do? And is Mulan the right title to try to get 30? It, it is because I think it follows on the, on the footsteps of what uh, Troll started. But the interesting aspect here for that particular test, if we want to call it a test for Disney, uh, is that movie will play in theaters uh, in quite a few markets worldwide. So yeah, because yeah, we haven't quite, this is all a mishmash. Yeah. Eventually, we'll have a clear strategy that they will, they won't. Yeah, right now, they're going to, a little bit of everything, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's gonna be a premium VOD blockbuster if we call it something, but I think it could hold for a few weeks because it will ultimately be the premium uh, production out there in streamers that no other streamer is, is, is putting forth for audiences to experience on, on on the platform. So I don't think it's gonna be a one two week kind of thing where there, it's gonna be a big boom around it, but people I think will benefit from hearing the, the experience from others. Uh, word of mouth will play a part I think in this, uh, continue to grow its legs as a movie that, that uh, is worth paying 30 bucks for to watch at home. 
So yeah, I think I think it could it, it will be definitely an interesting experiment. I'm not sure it's it, it's going to be a significant uh, revenue for Disney, as you pointed out. But uh, I'm very curious to see how it, that parallel of having it play on uh, Disney Plus exclusively on uh, the US compared to theaters um, worldwide, what the result is for that particular production. Will be fascinating. So let's talk about my favorite part of all of this. So. Trolls was never going to be a billion-dollar film. It was not financed as a billion-dollar. It was not expected. And therefore, they were okay saying, let's try to make $100 million right now. Who knows what... But Mulan was intended, whether it would have been or not, we don't know. A billion. So let's talk about the films that were, that in the best circumstances would make a billion or more. I mean, uh, Avengers Endgame made about 2.9 billion. So mm-hmm. I think the most, in my opinion, I can't prove this, the most lucrative of all the titles this year, potentially, is James Bond. I think it's uh, Daniel Craig's last film. It's been a long time since we saw James Bond. It's got a Billie Eilish song. I don't know what that's worth, but that'll give it a little bit of buzz. And um, the world's probably ready for escapism, for a big over-the-top fantasy. So it was going to come out in March, and MGM and the Broccoli's, who make it, the Broccoli's have owned the whole franchise, um, say, we're not going to sell this thing to video. It's too big, too expensive to make, and we're not going to give up could be a $2 billion film. We're not going to give up that revenue. So clearly we can't open it in the theaters. So let's delay it. And uh, in March, they said, okay, we'll delay it. They wanted it to be a holiday film or a summer film. So they delayed it till November. That felt like a long time in the future in March. (laughs) Of course, this thing was going to be settled, you know, by fall. Well, maybe in some of the world, but it's not in the U.S. I mean, we can always cross our fingers and hope. Uh, So the question is, what do you do? They've also delayed Mulan and then delayed it on again and again and then pushed it on to Disney+. They've delayed Tenet, Christopher Nolan's film, not a sequel, not a well-known film, but he's one of the few directors that his name alone can sell a film. They've got Black Widow and they've got Wonder Woman, which are all big franchise films. So the problem is uh, Wonder Woman and James Bond and Black Widow were, were pushed to the end of the year. Mulan wasn't, so they, they, they didn't want to push it again. What do you do with James Bond? It doesn't look like, even in December, once again, in our work, 42% say they won't go to a movie until there's a vaccine. Do you push it again? Do you push it for a year? Can you do that? You've got to pay interest on the film. Do you push it to March and cross your fingers again? Or here's a crazy idea. So Netflix went to... Martin Scorsese, or Martin Scorsese also went to Netflix, and he had The Irishman, which no studio wanted to make. So Netflix said, here's $140 million. It's not, never would have made that, 
Martin right. Scorsese is, is a brilliant filmmaker with an incredible awards record, but most of his films aren't massive box office, but they did it because of the buzz of opening the film and a high quality Robert De Niro, Al Pacino film would only be seen on Netflix. So Netflix must be saying to themselves, we did well at 140 million for The Irishman. Why don't we go to, why don't we go to MGM and offer them 300 million for James Bond? And from MGM's perspective, A, it's a guaranteed way to open it and get it seen. B, it don't have to pay interest on continuing to carry the cost of the film. C, we're not going to make our billions, but we'll make our money back and we'll live to play another day, which could be the title of the next James Bond movie. <laughs> so why, why not just take it bite the bullet, we'll survive, then there'll be another one. So if you're, if you're MGM and the Broccoli's, what do you do if they offer you 300 million? And you, well, don't, and you don't have to pay 75 to 100 million dollars to market it. Market it, yeah. It's interesting because I still, I still um, think there's an opportunity to get even better, a bigger revenue uh, through premiering it in multiple platforms. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a gamble there. We know they can't open it in December because in December, I think half the theaters in America will still be closed. Oh, you know how Top Gun was supposed to open over the summer yes. and they pushed it to December and now they pushed it to the, the summer of next year. Yes. And, and the theaters that are open may be socially distanced, you know, to 40% of capacity. So the, yeah. I mean, the one thing is we, as, as, as you figure out what we ought to do with James Bond, the one thing's clear, their ability to turn it into a billion dollar theatrical film is delayed possibly forever, mm -hmm. but at a minimum till summer of 2021. I didn't dare to say that it's not even but winter 2021. I said minimum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it could be it could be summer of 2022. Right. Yeah. Oh, Barbara Broccoli, what do you want to do? This is a big so what, well. If you were Barbara Broccoli, what would you do? Would you take 300 okay. million from Netflix? I no, sort of. I, I sort of would. Yeah, you would. Why? Because who knows what's going to happen? The film is expensive to keep. We're paying interest on making it. And as I said, we get to make another one mm -hmm. if we recover our cost. And we'll make a little bit of money. I assume they'd make $75 million. Well, here's, here's another thought to your uh, hypothesis, because it's an interesting one. Definitely, your $100 million seems uh, interesting for them to just uh, break even, basically. But if we think about it, the, the buzz and the hype around the movie, all the different variables around this specific movie, what you just outlined earlier, uh, Craig... Uh, Daniel Craig's last movie, uh, the Billie Eilish song, uh, Anna de Armas is one of the hottest actresses in Hollywood right now. She's in the movie. Um, could this be, if this goes to streaming, could this potentially be the first big 
streaming uh, movie event premiere because when you, we talk about the Irishman, when we talk about uh, Power that just premiered this week on Netflix, we have big names attached to those movies, but they are not event movies. They are not movies that people stop what they're doing to sit uh, at home and watch, if you think about it. So this James Bond film could be the first actual event streaming movie well, to well, do that. I, I think there have been, uh, of course, uh, Tiger King ended up becoming an, a, an event, yeah. <laughs> not intentional. But I think uh, if you look at Birdsong on Netflix, did right. phenomenal opening night, uh, not box office, equivalent of box office, but yeah. viewership. So yeah. I think there are some, Irishman was more a prestige project, but I think a lot of people watched it. Uh, and then with all the Oscar nominations, Marriage Story as well. But um, no, there. I, I think Birdsong was an event. There have been a couple of them. But yes, you're right. This would be a uh, the equivalent of lining up around the block. Right. And I think Jane. I think any of those titles: Top Gun, James Bond, uh, Wonder Woman, um, Black Widow. Well, yeah. I think all of them would. Which is why I think Netflix wants to get its hands on it. And of course, the other question: If you're Barbara Broccoli, do you sell it to Netflix for three hundred million, or do you try to get forty dollars um, direct to consumer? And but you know, I, I the math on fifty dollars is uh, actually the math on twenty dollars is you have to get fifty million people to watch it. It's it's a tough time to be stuck with a three hundred million dollar film that still needs $100 million to market it when you don't know if movies will ever come back the way they were. And, and if so, when? You know, in, in a way, they, the, the studios had it easy with films like Trolls. You know, they didn't have to, it wasn't that hard to say, let's sell it to video. So you'd sell it to streamer. I'm going to go with... Uh, I'd, I'd only Netflix, I think, would come up with $300 million. For sure. Uh, I premiered it for $29.99. Yeah, I was talking about Netflix paying $300 million and including it, exactly. not charging on top of it, the way Disney Plus is. But if you were to go direct, forget about Netflix, premiered at 30 bucks, we just don't know how many uh, admissions you'd get. Some of it, of course, the one factor that we can't answer, the studio may know, which also is how good a movie is it? You know, I think, I think if it's bad, it still does phenomenally well, but if it happens to be a really good movie, then uh, it really could have been $2 billion. So right. we just don't know how good Top Gun or these other movies are. The better it is, the more you want to wait. But, yeah. you, you know, it, it, it's down to the old bird in the hand, uh, <laughs> two in the bush, and, uh, and it's expensive. Well, that's probably a good place to stop today because we can start answering some of these questions about Mulan and Tenet you know, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think Tenet is a fascinating case in itself that we could definitely dedicate a full hour to discussing. And uh, the streaming window, uh, the theater to streaming window is a fascinating one as well. So there's a lot to, to talk on this. And uh, yeah, COVID is definitely transforming the entertainment industry around the world. And when it comes down to movies, what's going to happen, we don't know. So we'll have to wait and see. 
And are movies a fundamental part of life that will survive no matter what? Or are we pretty happy campers streaming? And will we save the going out for concerts and uh, sports? Or will we maybe not do any of those things?